Before I begin the message today, I need to uh, clarify something from last week's sermon. I am not an evolutionist, all right? <laughs> I gave this example that I had met uh, a professor uh, from one of the medical schools in Dallas at a party, and uh, it turns out that she was a, a genetic evolutionist, and when she found out I was a pastor, she, uh, she was very not too friendly, and I didn't know exactly what to say to her as she continued her rampage. And uh, so, but God gave me the words to respond to her, and I hope that God will use those words for her. But just to clarify, I am not an evolutionist, all right? And uh, I couldn't believe how many SMSs I got. And, uh, <laughs> but, but I was gratified because somebody out there was listening. Ah, ah, you know, and so thank you so much. I really appreciate your keeping me on uh, my toes. Appreciate that very much. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Psalms chapter 51. Psalm chapter 51. Now, this is probably one of the most moving and famous Psalms of King David in the whole uh, collection of Psalms. It's notable because it recounts in the lives of all believers, young, old, and in between, a time when we will need to come before God and seek forgiveness. It shows all of us that, uh, that when we do come, what we can expect from God. And if we were to take time to study this psalm deeply, we would understand that some very important questions are answered in this psalm. Uh, for example, why would God's child want to be forgiven? You ever thought about that? You can't assume that everybody wants to be forgiven because some people don't think they need to be forgiven for anything. You see? But why would a person want to be forgiven? Another question was, how would God respond to our pleas? And why? Why would, why would even God consider listening to our prayers for forgiveness? And then a third question could be, what could such a restoration lead to? Okay? So the process continues. It is completed. What difference does it make in the person's life who just said these prayers? You see? So it answers these questions and many, many more. And so with this morning, uh, this afternoon, this afternoon, we're going to try to address some of those and let this passage speak for itself. Now, the pathway back to spiritual restoration comes through prayers, pleas, and petitions. And I want you to notice that there are three major kinds of prayers that are said. And so the first one is a prayer for forgiveness. And this is found in Psalms 51, verses 1 to 6. Okay, 1 to 6. If you will, you could probably look at these as a plea or a petition. The context that this is, comes in is David has uh, sinned, uh, has committed the sin of adultery with Bathsheba. And it resulted in a pregnancy, the birth of a child. And it also resulted in David's massive cover-up because what he had to do was he had to arrange for the death of Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. He was a soldier, and so as he went into battle doing his thing for the king, then what happened was that uh, David ordered that his soldiers would withdraw from Uriah and he would be left out there all by himself, and then he would be eventually slain paving the way for David to uh, marry Bathsheba. 
And so this was the context in which this has happened. And God didn't let David get away with that. And he sent his prophet Nathan to go and make that very clear to David. And so David pens for us, pens for us what goes on in his heart and in his mind and in his soul as he goes before God. Now, he pleads for God's forgiveness from the depths of his soul. How do I know that it is such a, a, a soul-wrenching kind of prayer? How do we know that? Well, we can do this by asking ourselves some uh, uh, questions. First of all, on what basis does David come to God? On what basis does he come to God? Now, this is his answer for us in verse 1. Be gracious, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassions. Blot out my transgressions. And so the basis on which the David could come to God, even approach God, even think about asking for forgiveness, is the character of God, his loving kindness, his compassion towards his people. And so that's the basis on which David comes. But what is he asking forgiveness for? What is he asking forgiveness for? This is found in uh, verses 1 and also 2. I already read verse 1, so here's 2. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. So there are three things that David asks God to forgive him for. The first one is transgressions. Transgressions is a word that refers to crossing the line of God's law. He definitely broke God's law. It's a transgression. And then iniquity. And this is, he yielded to the lust of his sin nature. He gave in to it. All right? This was his iniquity. And then lastly, he says, forgive me for my sin. He missed the mark set by God for him. And so clearly, on all counts, David is guilty. David rebelled against God for which there was no atonement. He could only appeal to God's mercy and grace for forgiveness. Now imagine that, if you will. Would you be willing, if you had really broken God's law, if you had really hurt somebody, would you be so crazy about going to them and asking for forgiveness? Probably not. It would take a mighty effort on your part and my part, to go to somebody whom we have sinned against. That's why it was so gut-wrenching. That's why it was so soul-binding. Uh, uh, and so David was asking for that. But that brings up another question. What did David petition God to do? Again, verses 1 and 2. If you look at the slide behind me, you'll see I'll mark them out in, in white letters. And it says... There, he says, blot out, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. So there are three things definitely that he asked for. Now, God doesn't waste words. He never does. That's why words are so important. So when David says blot out, it's an accounting word. And I know we have many accountants in our church. And it means basically cancel his sin debt. Erase it, if you will. So David comes to God and he says, Oh, I have sinned against you. I, my transgressions have been so great. 
I wish you would just erase them, that you would just cancel them, mark them as paid in full. And then when it comes to uh, his uh, further description, he says, wash me. And this is literally like cleaning dirty clothes. That's how David felt. He felt like the sin was just all over him, and he wanted to get rid of that. He says, please, please, wash me, wash me uh, like dirty clothes. Just clean me up. And then he uses the word cleanse. Now, the word cleanse here is the same Hebrew word that describes ceremonial cleansing. And this happened when a child of Israelite would go to the temple, he would go to the priest, and if he had been somehow touched some kind of, uh, uh, like a dead body, or he had uh, touched something that was defiled, like something in the foods or something like that, he would ask the priest to cleanse him, okay, to cleanse him. And so David was saying, I want to be cleansed, just like a person who is going to the temple and is being cleansed of some defilement, okay? This is what David was asking God to do. Now, here's the interesting part. Why was he so desperate to confess? Why was he so desperate to confess? He's the king, man. <laughs> Nobody messes with the king, <laughs> you know. But God did because he sent Nathan to him. But what was it that was driving and fueling David's uh, uh, effort to ask for forgiveness? Look at verse 3. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. No matter what David tried to do, no matter how many banquets he would hold, no matter how many trips he would take to the beaches or anything, whatever he tried to do to forget, he couldn't forget. It was on his mind. It was racking in havoc with his body. Well, pastor, how do you know that? Because if you read another psalm that David wrote, Psalm 32 Listen to his words as he describes what has happened for, uh, to him before he received forgiveness. Verse 3 to 4 of Psalms chapter 32. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away, he says, through my groaning all day long. Verse 4. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. Unconfessed sin takes a toll. And David in verse 3 says, my transgressions were ever before me. No matter what I tried to do to forget it, to deal with it, to cover it up, to just deny that it ever happened, God would not let it happen. And my body and my mind began to, to pay the price. Proverbs chapter 28. Proverbs chapter 28 describes what will happen to the person who confesses his sin versus the person who does not. Look at Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13 and 14. He who conceals his transgressions will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. How blessed is the man who fears always. But he who hardens his heart 
will fall into calamity. We don't have time to fully expose all of this, but summary statement is that sin, uh, unconfessed sin takes a toll. Back in Texas, I had a young man who came to me, and you could tell he was upset when he made the phone call and said, I, I have to see you, Pastor. And I said, sure, come on in. So he, he came on in, and we sat there together, just me and him, mano a mano, okay, man to man. And so here he was, and then he could tell he was visibly upset, and I said, well, what's wrong? What's, what's wrong? And he said, Pastor, I have to tell you, this thing has been on my mind so long. I can't sleep. I can't eat. I can't do anything. And I said, well, tell me, you know, from the beginning what happened. And he went on to explain that he had gotten uh, close to a young lady, okay? And he said that uh, uh, temptation being what it is, it got the best of him. And so him and the young lady engaged in behavior that they shouldn't have gotten engaged in. And so he was really upset about that. And at first he just thought, "Ah, you know, it happened, it happened, so what? You know, but it just began to wear on him. And so finally I just said, well, why didn't you come to me sooner? And then he says, because I was scared of how you would react. And I said, scared how I would, how did you think I was going to react? He said, I thought you would start yelling at me, screaming at me, throwing me out of the church, blah, 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 and so on and so forth. And I said, you know, the Bible says a person who confesses will find compassion. Now, compassion doesn't mean that you're exempt from consequences, okay? It doesn't mean you're exempt from consequences, but you will find compassion from God. And that's what's happened. So the idea here is that Uh, David makes this gigantic step. He decides to go to God. He comes clean, and he says, I know that my transgressions are always in front of me, and I know the price that I'm paying. And he says, I don't want that. I want to be forgiven. That's what David was trying to say. And so you look at this a little further, and you see that he was desperate to confess because he realized that he had sinned against God. He had sinned against God. Look at verse 4. Back in Psalms chapter 51, verse 4. Against you, you only, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge, he says in verse 5. And so he had sinned against Almighty God. And so he knew that he was going against a holy and righteous God, a sinless God. And then he expands on this a little further in verses 5 to 6. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in my, and in my sin my mother conceived me, he says in verse 5. Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being, and in the inner, in hidden part you will make me no wisdom, he says. So why was David so intent on being forgiven? Number one, it was because his it was wearing so heavily upon him, the sin. The second thing is he knew he had sinned against Almighty God. And God was perfect and God was holy. He wasn't. He was born with a sin nature. So David already knew that he had committed something very horrible. And he wanted to get it right with God. The prayer of forgiveness must go deep. No excuses, no conditions, but outright admission and confession of guilt that throws us totally upon the mercy and grace of 
God. You see, so many times, I, 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 I can't express this enough to you. You've, those of you who have been with me for the last six, seven years, you know what I think about sin. And what happens is that we have gotten to the point in our life, we wink at sin. We kind of go like this, you know, one of these things, when someone else sins or we sin. We just kind of blow it off. We just kind of let it slide. Don't make a big deal about it. Mogong, mogong, you know, don't talk about it, right? Well, that's what my mom used to always say to me. Okay, so don't talk about it. And then it goes away. You see? But David was different. David said, it's killing me. And David said, I sinned against you, almighty God. That's why this thing was so gut-wrenching. And it was so serious. David's prayer for forgiveness comes from the depths of his soul, confessing and acknowledging his sin before the just uh, and holy and humble and uh, humble God, um, uh, holy God that he had sinned against. Now the press, the process of restoration didn't stop there, and I'm sure that if you read the next set of verses, you probably say to yourself. Uh, isn't this a play on words? Isn't he asking for the same thing? Well, look at it more closely and you'll see. There's a prayer for cleansing. A cl- prayer for cleansing. You could call this another plea or petition, if you will. David realized that he needed and wanted more of what only God could give to him. Well, hey, isn't just asking forgiveness enough? You know? What more can God give? What more do we want God to give us? Ah, Let's see what he says. So he says in verses 7 and 9, okay, parts of 7 and verse 9, Purify me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Verse 9, hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Now some of you are really sharp and you say to yourself, hey, wait, 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 wait. Weren't those the same words he used in verses 1 and 2? Didn't he already ask this? Ah, but did you notice he reversed the order? He reversed the order. Okay? And so what happened is that in the first one, he said, wash, cleanse. I mean, he said, wash, cleanse, and blot, blot out, wash, and cleanse. This one, he says, cleanse, wash, and blot out. What had come to the forefront in David's mind? At this point, he realized he wanted the full cleansing that comes only from God, that comes from the priest in the temple. He wanted that. That's why he mentions the hessop. The hessop was a leafy plant used to sprinkle blood or, uh, of a sacrifice or water to spiritually cleanse a person from defilement. So David thinks about all this, and he says, I want only what you can give me. And that is the full spiritual cleansing. Verse 8, he says, Make me hear joy and gladness. Let my bones which you have broken rejoice. Joy and gladness is a Hebrew phrase, and it means deep joy. David wanted to experience again the deep joy that comes from walking with the Lord closely. You see, it's not enough that you and I ask God for forgiveness. We can ask for more. 
What can we ask? We can ask that we would be deeply cleansed by Him and that we would be restored the joy that comes from walking with the Lord. When he says, bones which you have broken, this is, a, this is a, a poetic phrase that speaks of the emotional anguish over sin that gives way to joy. But then that was, that, so he asked for that. But then he asked for a third thing. He says in verse 10, do you see it? Do you see what he asked for? He asked in verse 10, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit. Within me, he says. Now, immediately when you heard that, you thought of the song, right? I did too, right? Immediately you thought of the song. But what does this mean? Create in me a clean heart, okay? Um, he's, when you think of a heart, what do you think of? You think of an organ. You think of, you know, something that's very important that's beating in your mind, right? That's what you're trying to think of. In the Jewish mind... The heart, who a person is, is what goes on in his heart, okay? For example, he, it says in Proverbs chapter 23, verse 7, for as he thinks within himself, so is he. Now, I grew up in the age of the New King James Version, okay, as I was growing up as a Christian, and I remember this verse. It's one of the few that I remember, but this is the one I remember, the, the King James Version, for as he thinks in his heart. So is, so he is, okay? As you think in your heart, what goes on in your heart determines who you are, okay? That's the point here. And David said, I want a totally new heart. What does he say? I want to be a totally new David. That's what I want to be. And only you can give me that, God. And then when he goes on and he says, a renew, a steadfast spirit in me, he says, an upright spirit, it could be translated, an upright spirit, one that won't vacillate, one that will be right. When he says renew, it constantly, it speaks of the fact that we constantly need this refreshment and this reviving of the spirit that is within us to keep and stay healthy with God. That's what God can give us. Okay, not all the fancy pep talks, not all the fancy sermons, not all the fancy books and records and everything else that we go to, but it's God who gives us that. He gives us a clean heart, a new us, and he gives us that spirit to keep on going. That's what God can give us. And then he says another thing. He says, do not cast me away from your presence. Keep me close. Close to you is another way of saying that. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me, he says in verses 11 and 12. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. When you read all of these things, you see here that why David wanted more from God. I translate it this way as I was beginning to study this. David wanted more than just a clear conscience. Okay? He wanted more than being freed from lingering guilt. He wanted something more permanent. He wanted a totally changed heart 
and a steadfast spirit to obey the Lord. At first, you came in here and you said, Oh, Psalm 51. Oh, yes, I know all about that one. It's a prayer of forgiveness. I don't expect too much today. Maybe God will say something, but ah, I don't expect too much. But now you're confronted because it's not just asking God for forgiveness, but it's asking God to do a totally, a, a, a complete renovation of who you are and what you are. That's why this psalm is so important because it leads us down this path. It shows us what needs to happen. And it begs the question, what are we praying for? When we ask for God for forgiveness, do we just stop with the prayer of forgiveness? Or are we willing to go further and ask God to completely change us? That's what David did. Well, that brings us together then, the last prayer of David. He asked for forgiveness by acknowledging and confessing his sin. He asked for deep cleansing that would give him a changed heart and an unwavering spirit to obey God. Now David offers one more prayer, verses 13 through 19, a prayer for restoration. A final plea of, or petition, if you will. And there's three parts to this, part, this prayer. Because first of all, in verses 13 through 15, you find David's commitments David makes a commitment. He is so charged up with being forgiven by God and cleansed by God that he makes commitments, important commitments. Look at what he says in verse 13. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will be converted to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, the God of my salvation. Then my tongue will joyfully sing of your righteousness. Verse 15. O Lord, open my lips that my mouth may declare your praises, he says. God, David wanted to be completely restored to God. Why? So that he may teach others about God, that he may see other people come to God, and that he may experience once again the joy that comes with living for God. You see, that's what he wants. He didn't want to be just, oh, I feel better. Thank you. Oh, I feel better. <laughs> I could sleep tonight. I could eat tomorrow. You know, he didn't want that. He wanted more. He wanted that joy again. David had confidence. Why? Why could he be so confident to ask for something like this and make this kind of commitment? Look at verse 16 and 17. He said, he says, to the, this, for you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. How could David, after being forgiven and cleansed, make this kind of a deep commitment to God, except that he had confidence in what he had just been through. He had been through this process. And he says in the first part, for you do not delight in sacrifice. You are not pleased with burnt offerings. What he's saying here is that rituals and rites without true Pleas of genuine forgiveness and genuine cleansing are useless. David was king. All right? If he felt that God, that all he had to do was sacrifice a bunch of bulls and lambs and other animals to God, he could have heaped 
mounds and mounds and mounds of sacrifices to the Lord. But he knew that those sacrifices did not, would not ultimately please God. What God wanted was a broken and contrite heart. The word contrite literally means crushed, a crushed heart. Have any of you in this room ever experienced a crushed heart? Totally uh, and, and lost in an abyss of nothingness? No more pride, no more excuses, no more anything. You're at your wit's end. Crushed. He said, that's the kind of heart you want before God. David realized there was something more acceptable God to achieve restoration. He says, a broken heart, a crushed heart. He says, and such a heart you will not despise. If you turn to Isaiah chapter 57, Isaiah chapter 57, you read a little bit about this in a little bit more detail. In Isaiah chapter 57, verse 17. Isaiah chapter 57. Because of the iniquity of his unjust gain, I was angry and struck him. I hid my face and was angry, and he went turning away in the way of his heart. I think I messed up the, I must have mistyped the, the uh, reference. Please forgive me. But what happens there is that God in no way despises the broken heart. Okay? That's the promise of that scripture. David left there then with a conviction. This is verse 18 and 19. Turn back to Psalm 51. It says, By your favor do good to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in righteous sacrifices, in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then young bulls will be offered in your altar. So what David was trying to say at the end of this thing, uh, go through this whole process, he said. I ask God for forgiveness. I ask God for cleansing. I made commitments to the Lord that are based on a great confidence that God will not despise me. And he says, I look forward to the day that God will bless Jerusalem again. Everything will be right. Now, in your outline it says, why this, why now, why us? Please let me, give me a few minutes to explain. Why this? Why am I talking about asking forgiveness and repentance? Many of you might be asking this. Okay, when I started the first part of the year, I gave you, a, a, I, I was, the message was on Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. And this happened to do with the direction of the church, right? Present every person mature in Christ, all right? That was, that's what we're headed for. We are a disciple-making church. The second message had to do with individual commitments to live the spiritual life in, uh, of, of Christ in our life. You're going to make commitments, right? The beginning of the year. Everybody make resolutions. But make sure that amongst those resolutions, it's a commitment to live the life that God wants us to live. This third message is now we talk about praying for forgiveness, cleansing, and restoration. And the reason that we have landed on this is to make, in order to make way for solid commitments, we may have to ask God to be forgiven, cleansed, and restored. For what? 
Maybe you didn't keep the first set of resolutions. <laughs> you, didn't, you didn't even try. Okay? You made the commitments, like me. You made the commitments, but, you know, by January 25th, <laughs> I can't even remember what they are. You know, this kind of thing. It's time to be restored. Maybe, perhaps, there have been lingering sins in your life and my life. Against God, against others. It's time to clean them up. It's time to clean them up. So why now? It's a new year. New year brings new beginning. Let's begin this new year with a clean slate. Get right with God and with one another. Then we are ready to glorify God together. It's a great time to return our relationship with the Lord on an intimate footing. And then we will have 12 months ahead of us to see how God works it all out. Okay? Why us? When people ask me that question, why us? My usual response is, why not us? Why not us? This is meant for the people of God. Are we not people of God? Now, there may be those in this audience who are not. Or maybe they're not sure, okay? But primarily this message this morning was for God's people. But from it, you can also get a glimpse of the kind of God that we worship. And if you want forgiveness of your sins and you want eternal life, you can get it because God is compassionate and He is merciful. You have to come through His Son, Jesus Christ, believing that He died on the cross and rose from the grave for your sins. That's possible. But we are God's people, and we must live like His people. True restoration brings spiritual revival as each one seeks and receives God's mercy and grace. True restoration puts God in first place, others next, and ourselves a distant last. So somehow, if we come back to God and He gives us this heart again for him. Things like sharing and living the gospel with others take their rightful place. The good news that Christ died and rose again from the grave takes on new meaning for our family, our friends, our classmates and colleagues, acquaintances and even strangers. You see? I hope that I've helped you connect the dots. God has given us a huge opportunity to reach people for the Lord in Singapore. I don't think Justin McPherson. Personally, I think that's why God put the MRT station only 200 yards, 200, you know, uh, meters from our church. Okay, I think He wants us to reach out to all Singapore. As the old church, old building comes down and the new facility rises up on Martyr Road, we will see new opportunities. We will be moving back fairly uh, soon. Maybe 12 to 18 months, according to Brother Bay. Okay? So now is the time for us to get ourselves right with God. Today and not tomorrow. The challenge is now, not tomorrow. We've got to start thinking about how we're going to reach these people for Christ. We can't really reach people for Christ if we're all loaded down with sins. Can't do it. Won't work. So God has given us also a huge opportunity to trust Him to provide 
Sacrifices for God's work become second nature to us. Using your time, talents, and treasures for, the, for God becomes ple- a pleasure and a privilege. That's what happens when we're truly restored. Some of us are probably really wrestling with those figures that went up on the, on the slide today. <laughs> How many million are you talking about? You know? You know? You know, I stopped counting after the first hundred thousand. <laughs> you know, it's just, the figures are mind-boggling. And some of you are still wrestling with this whole business, you know. And, uh, all God is asking you to do is go before Him, sacrifice as He leads. For Effie and I, we had to learn it the hard way, just like everybody. But we've learned that sacrifice is really a privilege and a pleasure. It's not a drag on our life. And I hope that we here at GBC will find the same thing. Experience that joy again. So God is calling all of us to be restored to him today, right now. When God's people pray for forgiveness, for cleansing and restoration with broken and contrite hearts, God receives and restores. This topic is the right topic. This time is the right time. Okay? Now, it is our time to get right with God. I'm going to ask Aaron to come and Aaron, would you please play that first song that was the uh, the first song that was the uh, that we sang in our worship set? And I'm going to ask all of us who are comfortable doing this. Some of you may not be comfortable doing this, but I just ask you to indulge us a bit. I want to ask in a minute, as Aaron's playing, that everybody just bow their heads. And if you feel led, this is the right time. To ask for forgiveness, to pray for cleansing, then do it. Don't do it because I told you to do it. Do it because you want to do it. Please pray. the end of David's prayer 
he made a commitment to the Lord. And maybe God is calling some of us to do the same. Perhaps we have hurt somebody deeply. Of course, we've hurt God. God doesn't like to see us sin. So you went to God and you've been cleansed and restored. Perhaps now you need to go before somebody else. Spouses, maybe you need to go before one another. Parents and children, maybe you need to go to one another. Member to member, colleague to colleague, whoever God leads you to. Allow the joy of the Lord to return to your life. Father, you've heard our prayers, and much more so, you know the heart that we prayed those prayers with. If it is broken and contrite, you have heard those prayers and received them and received us, and we give you praise and glory. Oh, Father, we pray that a spirit of joy would return to GBC. That, Father, tackling anything that you give us will become a pleasure and a privilege. Thank you, Lord, for this time together, for speaking to us and the needs of our heart and of our soul. In Jesus' name, amen.